The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain where they could be alone. There, in their presence, he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them. They were talking with him. Then Peter spoke to Jesus. Lord, he said, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when suddenly a bright cloud covered them with shadow. And from the cloud there came a voice which said, This is my son, the beloved. He enjoys my favor. Listen to him. When they heard this, the disciples fell on their faces, overcome with fear. But Jesus came up and touched them. Stand up, he said. Do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one but only Jesus. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus gave them this order. Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So as I said, we're seeing something quite glorious here in today's solemnity. The transfiguration of Jesus in the flesh. It tells us a lot of things implicitly. Uh, and I think the church is very clever to put that reading, that gospel, which we've heard a hundred times, right? To put that gospel on the backdrop of these mystical kind of visions. Did you hear that scene that Bronwyn proclaimed? This glorious scene of um, the Ancient of Days. The, the, the glory himself, as we're saying in the gospel, seated, enthroned by this kind of celestial uh, cohort, and then seated before him is one like the Son of Man. So it's like, okay, they're both someone of tremendous uh, importance. All the attention is fixed on these two figures, the Father and the Son, we now know due to revelation. But I wonder how uh, obscure that vision would have been to its first hearers. Daniel uh, and what he saw. It reminds me of many such visions that we have in the scriptures. Think of Revelation as well. If you've read Revelation, it's one of those kind of crazy psychedelic you know, books with these weird images that boggle the mind. Um, I remember I was speaking to some kids in a high school and one of the children was from a, a different church. I don't know what church it was, but it was a young sort of church community. And he said, um, oh look, we our church is the book of, it's from the book of Revelation. That's what we look at. And I was like, oh, okay, tell me about that. And he did. And he picked up on all the images that really we're familiar with because that's what we're doing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Um, the lamb sitting on the throne, the, the one who was wounded and is, is forever well, immortally. It's like your church is looking forward to our church. Like come, come, come and see what you've been waiting for in a way. Okay, so there's all this anticipation building in the people of God. Finally, then, there's this encounter. I want to say a few things about the transfiguration. Um, one is the word itself, transfiguration. When Jesus uh, is transfigured, he's revealing something about himself. He's changing the appearance of himself, but not his substance. You know, when we 
come for the Eucharist, we use this word, people are sort of a bit jarred by it because it's a philosophical word, but we say um, transubstantiation. You've heard that word before? What we're saying is the appearance of the bread and the wine is always bread and wine. You put it under a microscope, you, you analyze it by any scientific means, okay, it's bread and wine, because that's not the claim we're making. The Eucharist is not transfigured. The Eucharist is transubstantiated. The innermost reality of those elements is changed. See how the opposite happens in the transfiguration? Because Jesus isn't becoming God in their midst. He's revealing who he is. His substance has constantly been the ancient one, the eternal one, walking with them. But he allows his appearance, his outer accidents, we would say philosophically, to change. And, and this, this is a wonderful thing for them to see. Something else. Jesus is revealing the fact that divinity is not at odds with humanity. You know, I, I often talk about these substances because it's worth getting in our mind, but we could say in a, in a very crude sense, there are really only two substances in existence. One is God, whatever God is exactly, and one is everything God has made, which includes us and animals and plants and stars and quantum physics and whatever else you want to name. But there's two things, right? God and God's creation, creator and creation. Why does God make creation? Well, because God wants it to share in the glory of himself. That as well is what we see in the transfiguration. When Jesus is transfigured, it doesn't destroy his humanity. It doesn't burn up into flames. Think of all the similar images we have in our scriptures, like when Moses goes and sees the burning bush. It's ablaze and not destroyed. Think of Mary. The Spirit of the Lord descended on her. She conceived God, really, literally. It did nothing to, to defile or injure her humanity, fragile and vulnerable and beautiful as, as she is, perfectly untouched, because God is not in competition with us. Actually, the transfiguration and many other such uh, revelations of Jesus shows us we and God are made, well, God is not made, but we are made for union with God, which doesn't threaten us. It's kind of a horrible uh, consequence of the fall that we feel threatened by God at times. We run away as if we're going to find safety without him. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't pose any threat to us at all. In fact, God enhances us utterly, like infinitely. God transfigures us. That's his desire. Think of those images also of Moses when he goes to prayer and he comes back to the people and his face is illuminated. And they say, Moses, put a veil over your face. We can't even look at you. It's like looking into a headlight. Um, the presence of God has transfigured him. And it does to us as well, doesn't it? So this is what we're being invited to now, to come into close, close contact with the God who breaks into our, breaks into our space, to kind of cohabitate with us, to use um, an interesting way of describing it. You know, Peter says, let's build three tents. Sometimes we mock Peter's intuition, but we've got a tent right there. That's what that is. That's what the word tabernacle means. Tent. God has pitched his dwelling here. In fact, you could even say there are three tents here. There's the tabernacle, but then there's us who come together as body of Christ. What does Peter say elsewhere? You are living stones in a tent, tent temple, tabernacle, a household where God desires to dwell. 
in his fullness. And then when we go out of here, we remain temples of the Lord. Our body, our life belongs to him. Some in our parish are going to take um, communion to the sick and housebound. Well, you're going to take a little tent with you, a little pix, where God desires to dwell. All of this is caught up in the mystery of today. Um, if you haven't heard these two words before, I just put them in our minds. They're the same word, but from different languages. One is theosis. Have you heard that word before? Theosis? It comes from the Greek. Um, theos is God, like theology is the study of God. So theos, theosis um, is the process of sort of becoming like God, becoming sort of infused with God. Um, think of like photosynthesis, you know, the <laughs> photosynthesis is the plant processing the, the photons from the sun. Well, God has given us a far higher kind of function. We can process, if you like, the grace of God. We can be synthesized according to God. Theosis. The other word is deification. Um, if you're familiar with the Latin in our Mass, we say agnus Dei, Lamb of God. So Dei is God. Same thing, deification, becoming like God, being drawn so deeply into his life that we start to glow with, with his presence. We start to love with his charity, which is enough to subdue the whole universe. Let's come and simply press our gaze up against this miracle that's taking place in our midst. The, the transfiguration for these three that Jesus chose I guess to some degree it had a specific intention. Jesus showed them this because he was heading to the cross. And the church fathers tell us that to save them the scandal, even though it was scandalous enough, they ran away anyway. But to save them being absolutely broken by the event, Jesus reveals this little foretaste of heavenly glory. He reveals that he will rise, and that he will be different in a sense when he, when he returns. His whole body will be elevated to a new degree. For us though, this wasn't just one historical event that's come and gone. We have the privilege of ascending this little mount table that we're at here and coming and seeing the one that we love substantially and uh, physically, concretely present to us. What is the host if not a tiny little glimpse of the transfigured one in our midst once again, gathering all people to himself? There's not a blemish or a crack or a scar or anything in that bread of life where Jesus is calling each of us let's come and be transfigured with all our hearts all our minds all our lives